listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Caposa, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of She Rises. I am your host, Giovanna Caposa, and I'm here today with growth expert, storyteller, and evader of convention, Sylvia Christman. I'm so honored to have her on the show today. For a very long time, Sylvia has been on a mission to maximize global impact by curating human potential. And that might sound like a big thing, and it is. She dives into her work with passion and the amplified life that she has created for herself that she now helps other entrepreneurs and impact makers around the world do for themselves as well. Originally born in Germany, she was raised across Europe, and now she calls herself a slow mad, choosing to live her life in different places around the world for months at a time. I just absolutely loved our conversation. I loved hearing about her story and how she just has always been this innate entrepreneur and risk taker. And you can really hear the confidence and the faith she really has, not just in herself, but in the universe so that she would be guided in the right direction. You could hear that coming through the whole interview. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sylvia. And as always, go to the show notes for more information about Sylvia to find her website. And of course, you can join us to discuss the show either on the comments at sherisespodcast.com or you can come on over to the Facebook tribe, join us there and continue the conversation after the show. Hope you enjoy it. Hey, Sylvia. Welcome to She Rises. I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited we get the chance to do this. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm a little bit jealous because just before we hit recording, you did share with me that you're in one of my homes away from home, Tulum, Aww. enjoying the tropics and the Caribbean Sea, but you sent some sun our way. <laughs> I am. Happy and sunny vibes throughout the winter months. That's how I like it. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's the beauty of having you know a job like ours, which thankfully helps us be location independent. So when it's cold and gray, if we need to escape or want to escape, we can. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So every show, well, not every show, but almost every show, I start with the guest's sort of She Rises moment or story. It's the moment where you started off on this journey. You know, I think everyone has a story. Every woman in particular, this show's dedicated to women, has a story that sort of led them along to where they are now. And it's an ever unfolding story, but you work with some pretty amazing, interesting people. You speak all around the world about various different topics that we're going to dive into today. But how did this all start for you? Well, you know, sometimes I have to honestly admit, I think I was born that way. If you uh, look at my astrological charts or like my numerology, it says that my core values revolve around sort of two defining factors. And one of them is my need for adventure. And the other one is my need for personal freedom. And so, you know, that really put me on a very early trajectory of, you know, making sure 
that, no, not making sure. When I was younger, I wasn't making sure anything. I didn't know what I was doing. But when I was younger, I had to follow that inner calling. And I was um, listening to that voice within. And I was lucky enough to be raised in an environment where I was allowed to do so, that I created my own reality uh, from a very young age all around me and got a head start in um, being very entrepreneurial. And not in a way that you would think that I had my own lemonade stand. It was more in the way of if I saw something I didn't like, I found a way to fix it or change it. I would create, you know, boards of advisors. I would create a committee. I would, you know, try to find a way to bring change into this world or, you know, create something that suited my personal advantages. You know, I'm not going to lie about that. It was always very much an opportunist, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is okay. You know, it's okay to be an opportunist as long as that still is in line with personal integrity. So that, you know, having been given the, the freedom to create a world of my own liking and also been given the freedom to not fit into sort of conventional thinking and constructs. I, I went to Montessori schools and so I was never really unschooled and forced into conventional thinking. And I think when I, you know, started off as, an, as a young adult into creating my own, you know, professional future, that was very much an advantage for me to, you know, compete with people around me and be very fast on my feet and creative and problem solving. So when I was about, I think it was like 19 that I set out on a one-way ticket traveling around the world. And I decided I was just going to, you know, go out there and figure out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to see. So that was my very first one-way ticket that I ever bought. And I went to Brazil and I didn't even have a plan. Like planning was never really my thing. I was more, I'm more of a doer and figure it out along the way kind of girl. <laughs> and Build the plane as on the way down, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, you know, like no problems. <laughs> I got this. I never really thought that you needed to have this like jet that needed to be seamless. I just thought, well, you know, buy the one-way ticket and when you land. So I landed about two o'clock in the morning in Sao Paulo with absolutely no idea where to go. Or, you know, obviously I didn't speak any Portuguese and didn't prepare for that either. Uh, it was about 2000. It was, yeah, it was the year 2000. And yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, everybody was worried about me. I never was. And you know how people say that you can't travel the world on your own as a woman, and I've never found that to be true. I did just fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, here, here, me too. <laughs> right, exactly. I never knew what people meant. You know, I'm just like, no, that's not my experience. It was fine. So I landed, and I figured I, I noticed that it wasn't the safest place to land at two o'clock in the morning on your own. And so I got myself a bus, went south, and went to a place called Florianopolis and they were surfing at the time and I thought that was cool and I stayed there for a couple of weeks and figured my way out and like within a week or two I had my you know I, I got my found my footing and figured out how this whole backpacking around the world thing really worked and uh, so needless to say it was like you know one of many occasions where I landed on my feet without any problems and uh, many years later I was in the U.S. at the time I'd finished school and, um, you know, my, my delusions of grandeur basically got me everywhere I wanted to go pretty much all around the world. And I was picked up by a serial entrepreneur. And uh, while I was still busy thinking I was going to be this big artist, he had discovered that I had one particular genius. And that was that I was an extremely good problem solver, a very creative problem solver. And uh, that, you know, hustle was basically my second name. 
And so for him, he really, really needed someone that was very strategic, that was a good creative problem solver, and that was very disciplined in their approach to bring the products and services that he thought of into the marketplace. And so that's really how I got my start in the entrepreneurial world. And uh, that was the first out of many companies that I participated in scaling and building and strategizing. And uh, yeah, so that was sort of the way that I discovered that being an entrepreneur and building businesses was really my sweet spot. So today, my mission really still is building businesses that impact the world and leveraging human potential to make sure that the people within the business construct are, you know, really able to realize their own potential and bring amazing things into this world. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah, you've had quite the adventurous life. And I mean, with everything that you told us, I'm thinking to myself, why Brazil? Like, how did you choose Brazil to start? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Good question. Uh, yeah, I play this game called Spin the Globe. Oh, and my God. I go where my finger lands. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of planning involved in that. <laughs> I love it. I love your sense of adventure and fearlessness. And I'm a huge advocate of women traveling alone and adventuring alone. I think it's how you really find out what you're made out of. It's oftentimes where you have to face your demons and find where your resourcefulness is, really. Yeah, and there's nothing like getting out of your comfort zone for that. I love that. It's an amazing story. 100%. Absolutely. I know. It's, um, I, I was just here in Tulum. I was, I was walking around on the beach, and I, I, I ran into a few young, younger women, and I thought were really fascinating. And sometimes I look at them, and I think, I, I see myself, you know, 17 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's uh you know, I am always very proud of them. I, I love having conversations with them. And I, I just love, you know, the exchange of information and also seeing how things have changed for them today in the digital age that I didn't have, you know, somebody called me a digital nomad of 17 years the other day, and I had to correct them because when I started traveling, I was very much an analog. That's right. <laughs> no, my head. I was sending faxes home. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, no, actually, when I was younger, there, there was, there wasn't interweb yet. There was. I, I remember the day that I got my first email. It was 1999, and it was. I just think back to that, thinking, gosh, it wasn't that long ago, but it feels like forever ago. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Listen, I started traveling in uh, 1997, and then went, you know, permanently left Germany in 2000. So, you know, at the time, depending on the regions of the world that I was visiting, you know, especially the Brazil back then, and uh, most of the South American continent, like if I was lucky, I was able to send a fax. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, what I love about you and, you know, we haven't touched there yet. We're going to go there now is that, I mean, you are this great problem solver and you can get in there and you strategically can look at a company or work with a high achiever and someone and really break it down and, you know, see where they have to grow and all of that. And it's amazing. And you have this really beautifully grounded spiritual side. Tell mm. us a little bit about that journey. Cause I think this is I'm going to guess where a huge part of your gift and sort of bringing all of this to people is. Yeah, um, actually really interesting that we're talking today because 14 years ago today, I uh, came to a really big turning point in my own personal life that, you know, my, my lifestyle had invited in a lot of chaos and darkness. And there really was only one way to go. And that was sort of inward and With that came a profound change and a profound need to embark on a more spiritual journey to really change everything in my life because the chaos outside was very 
exhausting and not very fulfilling. And, you know, it had attracted a lot of people and things and habits that weren't healthy at all. And sort of in that dark night of my of, of the soul, I ventured inward, I chose to to go inward. And that was sort of the humble beginnings of that journey. And as I evolved on the entrepreneurial journey, I would say about in 2009, I hit another wall that I really found myself rather successful living in New York City, having an amazing career, working for a startup in technology. We were like a Bloomberg terminal for the ad sales industry at the time. And I would go home every day and I would watch the ceiling fan go round and round in circles, you know, wondering, like, is there all there is? It's just like my sense of adventure had gone. I wasn't happy. You know, like I had been on this sort of spiritual quest for the last, you know, six, seven years. But, you know, like it wasn't really aligned with my entrepreneurial journey. And sort of somehow these two things were always at odds and something had to give. And and that was a very big pivot point because my health had also dramatically declined. And one thing that when I was a kid, I didn't mention earlier was that I was born as a very sickly child. So I've never been gifted with good health. And so my immune system has always been fragile. It's also led to me being an outsider because nobody wants to invite the kid that brings their own food to their birthday party. You know, it's like, mm. it doesn't make you very popular. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now everybody's doing it. It's very in vogue now because everybody yeah, has their own special diet. <laughs> kid now yeah I would be trendsetter so just trendsetter such a trendsetter back then I was just an outsider you know? <laughs> not fun like anybody want a tofu sandwich you know like, no. <laughs> it was not it was not cute like my sugar-free you know fructose only gummy bears and you know yet nobody nobody cared that was not cool so yeah and and so I think that greatly contributed when you don't find outside validation and when you don't find sort of that degree of love and reciprocation that anybody really craves, you go inward, right? Like you, you start listening to that voice within. And in my case, it just got strengthened, right? It really allowed me to later on in life, really always be very clear on what this voice within was saying, because I stopped looking for outside validation. So I didn't need it. And that gave me a lot of freedom down the road. And especially then I decided that, you know, my health in 2009 had declined because a stressful, entrepreneurial, fast-paced environment in New York really was not allowing my body to keep up at all. And so I had to make a choice between sort of my ambition and my well-being. And I decided to form my company at the time, which was going to go build retreats and wellness retreats around the world that were 100% sustainable and with people, planets, and profits and equal esteem. And um, at the time, wow, that's a mouthful, and it sounds like a yeah. an action-packed yeah. the triple P's, right? Yeah. Like so fully sustainable retreats, and they were ironically here in Tulum, which was really fun. However, my health was at the time in no place to really see that through. I needed to take a more spiritual journey inward. So instead, after the first two retreats. I hit another physiological wall and I went and, and spent a couple of years in Asia, really traveling and recuperating my health, you know, very much so and placing my need for spiritual well-being and fulfillment above my ambition for the first time in my life. You spoke to something really powerful there and I want to make sure that we, you know, highlight it for everyone listening because you said a lot, is that when you're soul, your very essence is not aligned with who it is you're being and how it is you're showing up in the world, whether it's work or relationships or whatever it is, 
it does manifest on the mild end of the spectrum as like, you know, dissatisfaction and boredom to the other end of the spectrum where you're physically ill. And it's so important to know that for everyone listening and to just be aware, you know, listen to your body, listen to what is going on in your heart. And if you are, like you said, lying on the bed, watching the ceiling fan going around saying, what am I doing? Like, what is the point of this? Rather than ignore, right? Like we often do. And I've done this many times in my life. Pay attention, right? Essentially what I heard you say. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like if you listen to your body whisper, you're never going to have to listen to it scream, right? And that's that could be the whispers of your soul, and that could be, you know, the aching of your joints that will not turn into like major back injuries or mm-hmm. neck injuries, or you know, they're all manifestations of of energy getting stuck and you know messages that our body is giving us not being heard. You know, like if you're chronically fatigued, there's a fundamental misalignment between your needs and your function in this world. And I think for us women in particular, we're living in a world that is, you know, in which, you know, especially when you follow the path of ambition and career paths, you're oftentimes very much asked to sort of fill into you and cater towards a very patriarchal system that may not be aligned with your true needs and sense of fulfillment. Absolutely. And doesn't always necessarily support you even exploring them or giving you permission Mm. to know that there's another way. So that's so, so important. And it can be very draining, right? There's no, I'm I'm not saying this to judge. It's just, there's a reason a lot of women find themselves chronically fatigued. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I like to joke and say, I get it. You know, patriarchy is exhausting. I'm tired too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, it's an important conversation, right? Because it's it's part of changing the paradigm, right? It's part of living, you know, more spiritually, mentally, and emotionally sustaining, right? We're not robots, right? We, we use these terms that are for machines when we get fatigued. We, we always say we burnt out, right? Mm-hmm. We burnt out. That's something a, a machine does, right? Like we, yeah. we're humans, right? We don't, <laughs> we're not machines. Yeah. Well, like I'm a human being, not a human doing, mm-hmm. right? And I think my, I've been lucky enough to work with a mentor for the last 14 years. And in my early years, you know, she would always say to me, you're not a human doing, you're a human being, like pause. And I'd just be like, I don't know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like I run past goal by a mile and I'd be like, oh, I missed something. I'm mostly my health, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, look, you're, you are my primary audience, right? It's the high achieving a woman mm-hmm. who wants to make an impact in the world who can do it all and have it all, right? Like you have the right. ability to do that. And there comes a point where you yourself had to reassess and slow down and go within, as you said. Right. And it's the, like, what does wanting it all really mean, right? Because like, be, being yeah, this exactly. high achieving woman, this is like the biggest journey I have. And, and I still, I assure you, I come across many pivot points in my life where once again, I think my ambition uh, got, and it's usually done in good spirit, right? It's not like that I pursue things that I totally dread. It's something that I'm excited about and I get engaged and then, you know, I end up exhausted and at the expense of my health at the finish line, right? And I had to question that many times. And I think my mentor always said to me, it's like everything you let go of has like claw marks all over it because, you know, you get so excited about something that you really want to do it and it may not be aligned with your health, your well-being, your sense of self. And, you know, like just like step back, you know, like step back, slow down, and then really make sure that it's aligned with your personal sense of fulfillment and joy and 
you know, um, vitality, you know, and that that's really important. Mm-hmm. I am uh, I'm an Enneagram seven, which is the enthusiast. So I get that because I like I can run on enthusiasm for like weeks and months sometimes before I stop and say, wait a second. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what, let's slow down here. Like, where does this align? What is this doing? You know, what? yeah, <laughs> totally. I totally get that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's funny, but it's not funny. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's funny. It's funny now when, when you're in it and you're then you're not, and then you're recovering from having just gone that way, then it's yeah not so funny, but, but you work with a lot of these people, right. And you, you you yourself are impact driven. You work with a lot of leaders and innovators that, you know, have the same, we often coach and, you know, we teach what we most need to learn and we coach people that are a version of us. Right. What is, Another place where you see, I'm going to say us, because I'm including myself in that. What is another place that you see us sort of getting in our way to growth? Other than enthusiasm and ambition? Yeah. Um, what's that, What's another? I mean, those, I would say those are two peak things, but, mm. you know, I think about aligned with ambition and growth. Like the, one of the things that's always gotten in my way is my relationship to my wealth consciousness, my relationship to money my relationship to, you know, there's all these things I want to do and places that I want to go and things I want to see and and events and things I want to create. And then somehow in the past, I've had to do a lot, a lot of work around this. And I see this also with my clients where their idea of what's possible or their idea of, you know, I want to make that change, but it's the security, right? It's sort of making that certainty top on your priority list. And we all know that money and wealth is uncertainty. Mm. So there's a, there's a play there. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I fall a little bit on the other end of the spectrum, right? I, I'm just like, anything's possible. Right. And I don't, I, I find, dose of that. right. <laughs> yeah. Like I find great joy in living dangerously, which is also very, that's my, that's my danger zone. You know, I'm like, no, that totally looks possible. I think that's why serial entrepreneurs have always enjoyed sort of my advice, you know, but I also, I had to learn how to err on the side of caution and how to be more strategic and and look at the financial planning to um, really, you know, plan more strategically before jumping into the hell yes. So nowadays I say my hell yes can only be for myself, you know, like on my own personal journey, I need to make sure that my hell yes is not an impulsive reaction, you know, because that usually doesn't lead anywhere good. My hell yes is a very carefully thought through and meditated result out of contemplating things and slowing down. That's been a big part of my journey. And I see that a lot of, you know, especially like easily excited entrepreneurs that fall into that range. I personally do not fall in the the range of people that fear. I fear security because to me that feels like stagnation. And I start getting, I literally start getting, Osho is one of the interesting thought leaders around this too. He's an Indian mystic that talks a lot about this, that, you know, people that live in a stagnant sort of life tend to have more anxieties than people that live out in the open road and in uncertainty because they're confronted with the reality of what life is and therefore live in a more invigorating space. And I experience life very much like that. And I find that very high achieving entrepreneurs or pro athletes, you know, they, they are that, you know, it's like they, they are at their peak performance when there is a little bit, you know, when, when there's more influx, when there's more pressure, you know, when there's more risk because that sharpens their senses. So what I heard you say in that was 
that, and, and I love this piece, this is part of the whole thing I'm writing, is that what I essentially heard there is that you can't possibly seek to really to make a, a significant change or get anywhere unless you're willing to live out of that comfort zone. And for many people, and this is what I was getting at with my question earlier, was for many people, they do live in that comfort zone. It's like, well, what is it going to cost me if I X, Y, Z? And the people that are actually successful in making any moves, I mean, we talk about professional basketball players or we could just talk about, you know, leaving an unhealthy relationship and starting something new. Mm -hmm. Um, Anything on that scale doesn't happen with the safety of security. It doesn't happen inside the comfort zone. It happens way outside. And that's such a great takeaway, I think. Yeah. And I think the important component to that really is, is that enthusiasm, the excitement of life, that the the way living a life and where you feel truly fulfilled in a life versus in a place of, you know, anxiety riddled anticipation of worst case scenario, right? That's the difference. And do you come across this a lot with your clients or are you already working with people at the level of this is not an issue, we're risking it, we're going through it? So in other words, when you talk about wealth consciousness or this type of thing, are you speaking already at that level or do you find that people are still sort of getting stuck in that comfort zone area? Well, it's a mix. You know, I would say that because it also depends on to what degree you end up working with me, right? Like, so if you're somebody that works as highly engaged with me and works on my like elite intensives, then yes, you know, you're definitely already a high performer or that's less of an issue where we're more fine tuning. You know, what are you, what are you leaving along the way? Is it your relationship? Is it your health? You know? at the expense of wealth, like where's the balance within that. But then there's also, you know, when we do retreats or, you know, other, other workshops where, you know, the wealth consciousness comes up or, you know, like the, the scarcity mindset. And I think the money mindset for women in particular is something very important to really take into consideration. Like what is my time worth? You know, like what is my work worth? There's so many things and and roles women fulfill in this societal construct that we live in where it's not considered as there's no value, you know, considered in it and attributed to it to really work with women around the money mindset of making sure that there is value to your time, whether that is, you know, making recommendations or making connections, you know, to really understand that their time is valuable and that we're living in a time and day and age where a lot of the contributions that women make to a business or people's lives is actually, you know, is valuable and that there can be a monetary exchange for it. And there should be, and also making sure know and for them to understand how to charge for it. Absolutely. This conversation obviously has hit mainstream with equal pay, you know, concerns and questions and, and outrage coming up again in the media. And we're seeing it a lot in Hollywood, et cetera, which is starting the conversation for everybody I just recently was speaking to an ex-colleague of mine from years and years ago, and I don't know how we got on the topic, but we were sort of bantering back and forth, and we were kind of joking about what we got paid. And in that conversation, I found out he got paid like $1,000 a month more than I did. And it was simply for the fact that he was uh, like, we broke it down. It was simply for the fact that there was a shortage of men in this particular position. And they, that was sort of incentive. And I just, even though it's like 17 years later, was completely outraged that that would happen. 
Yeah, I actually, it's, I mean, it, it have, I had a little, I had a little week last week. I think it still happens to this day. I mean, I have pretty fixed rates and I just had a colleague who ha, was giving me some clients that, you know, because he just had more than he could handle. And what was interesting was that the clients came back and wanted to offer me you know, 20% less. <laughs> and I laughed and I was like, no, no, same work, same fee. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'm like, uh-huh. You know, like I, I could say a lot of things about this, but I'm just going to reply with same work, same fee. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I have more experience, same work, same fee. That's all I'm going to say to that. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. I love it. It's, uh, it's my, one of my favorite mantras is my castle, my rules. So this mm-hmm. is how it is. Yeah. 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 I love that. Yeah. I mean, there is a, so I think a lot of the problems around unconscious bias is just that it's unconscious. Right. And so there's a really delicate way that we can then make men our allies, you know, that we can invite them into the conversation and be you know, informational and, and really find a way to communicate gently, but kindly, but strongly where the boundaries really lie and where there may be something they have been overlooking, you know, or unconsciously suggesting that just wasn't okay. It's delicate because I think sometimes being confronted with their own bias, there's a lot of shame that comes up because I really think that most of the time is unintentional and unconscious. And uh, figuring out a way to invite invite men in leadership positions, in positions of power and decision-making processes or, you know, with the ability to build teams and form teams and form the leadership of an organization, it's very important to keep these conversations alive that we're really just talking to each other as allies. Yeah, absolutely. And, And remove, like you said, removing the shame from it and making it an open conversation. Nobody's wrong. We're just figuring it out together, really. Correct. Yeah, 100%. I love that. Cool. Yeah. So as we wrap up, Sylvia, leave us with probably I would say I usually ask people what is your like number one top either piece of advice or the thing that you find yourself repeating the most to your clients or to your audience that we could leave this audience with before we wrap up today. Oh, let's see. I would say be audacious. Don't let anybody tell you it can't be done. Dream big, but run the numbers. I don't want you to get stuck in an unprofitable dream. I love that. Dream big and run the numbers. Love it. <laughs> yeah. You are amazing. My nomadic friend, I am so happy that you came on this show, uh, especially that you're in beautiful Tulum, Mexico. And um, I really, really appreciate the example that you set for all women, especially those of us that are listening to this show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a true pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising, everyone. For books and resources related to today's episode, make sure you head over to SheRisesPodcast.com and I'll see you there. If you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure you tune back in next week when I dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be. And hey, if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it, head on over to iTunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show. 